Hey, welcome back to another exciting episode of Spellstorm Miniatures. My name is Jeremiah. I'm Dan. And this is Chad. And we have a great topic to talk with you about today. Some might call it a hot topic. Um, it's definitely a relevant topic. It's a current topic. And it involves making things, uh, which is actually the essence of our hobby anyway. And so it's going to be good. Uh, but hey, uh, we like to talk about games that we've played. So uh, have you guys played any games lately? Oh, sadly, I think this is going to be just you two because uh, I've got nothing. uh i have gotten some games in of a variety of stuff actually nice why don't you go ahead and tell us about one of them some of them well since um since the store started doing in-store events uh free play days for certain things um monday nights have become the night for warhammer or gw stuff uh it's primarily been 40k people coming in and playing but i hear a lot of rumbles of people being interested in age of sigmar or blood bowl or necromunda and we keep encouraging to you know bring your stuff or you know talk about it and see if there's other people interested um mostly it's just been 40k uh i have to work on those monday nights so unfortunately i haven't gotten any 40k games in at all but I have seen you there a couple of times, Jeremiah. <laughs> I have. I haven't been there in the last couple of weeks, but it's actually been a long time since the three of us have got together to talk. So um, I do have a few games in the bank to talk about. So um, I've actually played three uh, 40K games. I played uh, one game against Nicholas. It was a 500-point game. I played Blood Angels. Uh, Nicholas played Salamanders. And it was a blast. It was uh, kind of a learning game. He was kind of showing me the ropes a little bit. And um, and it went the five full rounds. It was 500 points, went five full rounds. And at the end, only five models left on the table. Oh, man. It was, was, it was awesome, right? And it's easy was, to remember. Uh, five by five by five. Yeah. Was that the game that you were playing the Hellblasters for the first time? That was the game I was playing the Hellblasters. And so I it was a Hellblaster game? <laughs> They're probably my favorite unit in the game right they're, now. They're pretty strong. Yeah. They're pretty good. They are pretty strong. Um, I got another 500-point game again, uh, Blood Angels against Space Wolves. This time I was playing Michael. And we um, used the Open War deck this time. And and that was a lot of fun. If you're not familiar with the Open War deck, basically um, it has uh, like uh, deployment zones predetermined and objectives predetermined and like scenarios and stuff, and you basically just flip. And so you get like a random game. And so we had a, a weird deployment zone for this game. And then and then the scenario was a single objective in the center of the board. And at the end of turn five, whoever is, it basically kind of like captured the flag a little bit. Whoever is, whoever picked up that objective and you can walk around with it um, and is holding it at the end of turn five, you win. And, and so in our scenario, uh, Michael had the the deployment zone that got him closer to the objective, and so uh, so he was able to get it to it first. And then the person that he chose to pick it up with, I think, was I think was his lieutenant who had a relic shield, 
And um, by the end of by by the end of the third round, um, I didn't have enough firepower to do anything to get around that relic shield. So, yeah. um, so it was basically unwinnable for me. But it was fun um, because it was a pretty dense um, terrain, and I for some reason brought a bale predator, which I wouldn't recommend doing at 500 points. But um, he was almost useless because I couldn't actually get him anywhere because of the terrain. Oh no. Um, yeah. But, and then I played another game uh, this time with Nick and a uh, thousand point game. Um, I borrowed a couple Imperial Knights from one from the store and then one from um, uh, Colton. And, uh, and I played against uh, uh, Nick's death watch. Yep. And that was the first game that I played with primary objectives and secondary objectives. And probably to this day is the most fun 40k game I've ever played. Um, well, yeah, you get to play big stompy robots. I know. It was so easy. I only had two models to worry about. And, um, and so it was a puzzle for me to try to figure out how to score the primary objective um, in this situation, there were four in the center of each quadrant. And then, and then if you owned and he got progressively more points each round for, for owning that objective, um, five for one, I think like 10 for two and three, 15 if you own more than your opponent. Um, oh, yeah. and, and so, um, and so it was pretty close, uh, midway through the game and then to the last two rounds, there was an opportunity, I think, uh, for me, and this is where I didn't understand the rules exactly. And this, um, when you activate your model it's in the shoot phase and you have, let's say you have three range weapons you can fire with, uh, before you start rolling dice, you have to declare um, which weapon is shooting at which target. And you have to make all those declarations before you start rolling dice. And, and so I declared two of my yeah. weapons against this target and I started rolling, then I had my third weapon that I was going to shoot at this other target. And then they were like, eh, can't do that. And I was like, Oh, and so, yeah, yeah that's one of the other big differences yeah. between like war machine and 40 K is, uh, you got to pick where your shots go. You can't choose through the turn as you like start removing models. Cause you got you know, lucky dice rolls or something like that. Right, and yeah, that does change the way you have to you have to plan your turns. And so I, that was a good learning lesson for me. It went for five full rounds, and um, and had I, and I ended up losing uh, thirty five to twenty eight because I scored so many secondary objectives. Yeah. Um, so it was a really close game, and I think that's another reason why I really enjoyed it. Um, but if I had, um, there's a possibility that if I would have been able to remove that single model. That um, that this misfire that I thought I could remove, you know, um, yeah. then I think it, it would have been like thirty to twenty eight, or possibly, you know, it would have been thirty thirty actually, because I would have got two more points for objectives, and so and or maybe even I won, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. I had fun and I learned about target target priority, and then also declaring all your weapons at the beginning of the activation. Nice. So those were just learning things. Yeah, yeah. So. But yeah, um, I'm enjoying 40k right now because of my work schedule. That's the only kind of game I'm getting in right now. Um, is is Games Workshop games? Um, you got some Game Workshop games, then, didn't you? 
Yeah, so I haven't been able to play any 40K, but I am part of a group that meets every other Saturday uh, out at Richard's, one of our locals, uh, with some of our other local guys um, from the area. Uh, and we've been doing a narrative league for Age of Sigmar. Um, so we've gotten this past weekend... Uh, was the third game that we got to play. I've been playing Daughters of Cain that I've talked about starting to collect. Uh, and I've been working on trying to hammer out painting stuff and keeping at a pretty decent pace. I finished up um, some stuff that I'll talk about on my hobby table a little bit later. But uh, we play. I've mostly been playing 600-point games for the first two games. Not going super great because I'm still trying to get used to the the different board size and the flow of the mm. game because I'm still so used to War Machine and my 40, like, while Age of Sigmar is very similar to 40K, my 40K games is, like, less than a dozen. Like, I think, you, Jeremiah, you've probably gotten close to more games of 40K in the last couple of months since you started getting back into it than I have in the hand, couple of years that I've been playing or collecting mostly. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this last weekend, the the one I am going to kind of talk about is this last weekend, Richard and I played a game. We actually played with basically everything on our narrative roster, um, played a little bit bigger. So we played about 925 points. Nice. Um, and it actually it was the first time that I put the Bloodstalkers onto the table, which are the uh, the snake ladies with bows that are very, very strong. I watched an interview with uh, a YouTube personality called the AOS coach uh, wow. who had a, um, oh shoot, I'm totally blanking on what the woman's name is. It was an American player who uh, recently got top 10 playing Daughters of Kane at uh, Atlantic City Open a couple of months ago in March. And um, I think her name is Marceline, Marcella. Um, very knowledgeable player. She's really new to AOS as well, playing Daughters of Cain. Um, and so their interview was very helpful, which is where I thought about getting playing the Bloodstalkers. Um, they're very, very good. Um, I still got a couple of rules that I forgot about, uh, but this one actually went four rounds rather than me scooping at the like top of two or bottom of two. Um, and so it actually felt much better. Um, my positioning was better. My movement around the battlefield was a lot better. And my target prioritizing was uh, a lot better than the other two games. So um, nice. I'm really happy with the way the color scheme is coming together. Um, really, really happy with it. And I've gotten a handful of stuff painted. I just got the last of the stuff that I had to prime done or uh, all primed. Um, so now I'm just waiting to start working through all of that. Nice. But, uh, it's definitely very different compared to some of the other miniatures games that I play. Certainly different from War Machine, but uh, I have been enjoying it some. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I got a... it always feels good putting painted models on the table. <laughs> yes. yes, it does. <laughs> I got a, a game of uh, Age of Sigmar in as well. Um, it, my one and only game of 3.0. And I played against Wes. It was really nice because, you know, Wes used to live local to us and we used to hang out on our days off. And, you know, he moved far away. Not really far away. He moved away. And, um, but anyway, uh, he hosted me in his garage and he put, um, played a thousand points. I played specifically Clan Eschen Skaven. I'm sort of a, 
uh, a diva when it comes to my skaven and um and then uh, and he ran cruel boys and um it was a fun scenario um i misunderstood one of my movement shenanigans that probably would have helped me a lot in the game and um but the most important takeaway for me was um was the all the cps the control points and things that you can do um, throughout the game that that didn't used to exist in early Age of Sigmar, and you know I've I've pretty much have played Age of Sigmar since the beginning, not the very very beginning, but in you know in the first year when it was like when nothing no units had points and you just kind of just threw models on the table and and smash each other, um, and so um, and so it's interesting. Oh, yeah, to that see. was. That was more like list construction of like this. This is identified as a battle line unit. You must have this many battle line units, right? Like well, this yeah, many think, elites, I not really point line, values. Yeah, in the beginning, battle line didn't exist either. I don't think. Okay. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember when that when that came into play. Um, no, you used to just you used to just show up and and be like, I have five units, and your opponent goes, Okay, I have five units, and then you just play, and <laughs> and then um, and then but then. You know, uh, we all know that a unit is not equal to a unit. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially across <laughs> across armies. So uh, set, definitely with second edition, they started adding more structure, and then and then now with third edition, there's even more structure. And and actually just and actually really what they did with the third edition is they made it more interactive. I think because there are there are places where you can use your control points at in all the phases that even on your opponent's turn phases and yeah. so there's a lot more back and forth it feels it feels kind of nice actually yeah that is one of the things that is really cool especially using the uh because the certain things like all-out defense or all-out offense or all-out attack um you can use those during any of the combat phases it doesn't have yeah. to be during your turn so like if if you and I are playing and you get the priority, you get the initiative for the turn um, being second, you also get an extra point. You get an extra command point if you are uh, the second in the initiative for the round. Uh, but then also if you, when we go to combat on your turn uh, and I pick a model or a unit to fight um, now I can use command points during your combat. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can use the all-out attack, or I can use the all-out defense when you start swinging at me, uh, which is really nice. And it does yeah. make it feel kind of more like um, a little bit of a dynamic power struggle as the battle goes on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, um, I'm actually looking forward to getting a little bit more Age of Sigmar in. Um, and because uh, I want to I wanna play with those rules a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, right now 40 K is sort of in the front. So, um, 40 K is in the front of all games except for flesh and blood. So, <laughs> which is anyway, but yeah, uh, you got any other games to play? Uh, so yeah, I actually have gotten, uh, some war machine games in recently. Um, the last time that I was on a podcast, I was about to go play a game against one of our other locals, uh, Eli, and uh, I went over to his place he hosted. He was gracious enough. Um, and we played a 75-point game. I played a Tanith list um, that apparently has been really popular on the internet. 
Uh, I've named it ground control because I think it's interesting. It's got a lot of area kind of denial uh, to it. Um, but it's uh, Tanith with uh, Wold Weird and a Storm Raptor. And then there's double Dunian Archons, double Primal Archons, um, and then a bunch of other super solos, Valkyries, and um, a, util- a unit of Croaks. Um, and a handful of other things, Chuck Dogwood, um, Hermit. Uh, so I've, I've played that list twice. Um, both times are very interesting. I've actually won... I think I've won every game of the four War Machine games that I've played. Yes. Um, That's a nice roll. Yeah. The the Tenneth list has a lot of unique stuff going on. The game that I played against Eli told me that there is tons of stuff happening in that list, despite it being kind of a, a small model count list with all the different solos and the different overlapping mm-hmm. abilities and things. It's a very unique list. Uh, and I like it a lot because I like stuff like that. I like really complex lists that have a lot of um, underlying synergies. Um, one of the other games I played against uh, one of our other locals, Nathan, who wanted to put, he plays Grimkin, he wanted to put the new Slaughterhouse and 30 Dreadrots on the table, uh, which is kind of a fun list. Uh, he was also doing it with Old Witch. Uh, with Old Witch. Nice. Um, I love that model. So I decided that I didn't I didn't want to play the Tanith list against it because the Storm Raptor will just delete those yeah. Dreadrots off the table. <laughs> um and I didn't want to think that hard that night. So I played a tried and true list that I have that I love that I've, I've championed for a while, which is my Kruger two out of theme list, um, which is almost bones of Orboros, except I've got Loki and a feral in there, um, which makes it not a legal theme force of any kind. Um, <laughs> so I don't get the advantage of any of the free models, but the list has a lot of unique, um, threat variables for assassination because with TK shifting stone and a Loki hook, um, you've got a 20 inch threat uh, that's non-linear. That is, is pretty scary to a lot of people. And at the end of that threat line is a feral about to charge you after Loki punches you a couple times. So it's, uh, it's, it's a scary thing. Um, I managed to pull off an assassination, um, after almost screwing it up for myself, um, I feeded and pushed some models away that I didn't really need to do. Uh, and I teleported Megalith to exactly within three inches of Old Witch. And the idea was I was going to TK her forward and turn her around because you can still place battle engines and she's a battle engine caster. Um, but when I had feeded, I had accidentally pushed a Dreadrot basically right into the area where I wanted to TK her forward. And so I TK'd her and she only went about a quarter of an inch and it was still too far away from Megalith's short little arms with his one inch (laughs) melee. Um, But I did manage, uh, I I was still in range to get my feral to the back of old witch. And he, he ended up doing the job. Nice. Um, the most recent game that I played, I played a variation of the Tanith list because I wanted to test out Kruger Zero. We've recently gotten the rules spoiled for him. Um, so I took the Storm Raptor out and uh, played in the Secret Master's theme is the Tanith list, um, which I've talked, I feel like I've talked about a lot 
personally and also on here has now kind of in a roundabout way turned into one of the best theme forces for circle um but uh i took out took out the storm raptor um took out one of the primal archons and uh something else added shifting stones kruger with a wold weird and then i gave tanith a feral and loki um, because Kruger can put his AOE down and and trigger Prowl for either Tanith or for Loki, which is really mm-hmm. nice. Um, plus, he runs a, a World Weird super well. Uh, he's got a decent gun. Um, I did end up winning that game by assassination. Managed to pull it out just barely against uh, Jake, one of our locals who was playing Vlad two in Mana War theme. Is it still? It's not Legion of Steel Armor Core. Um, which is a wall of meat. And in that game, my Valkyries and my Croak Raiders were absolute champions. My Croak Raiders were doing so much work that game, it was ridiculous. Like, they definitely earned more than their 16 points worth, not only in the stuff that they killed, but the other stuff that they, like, put damage into. And blocking space and doubling up on um, the Dunin Archon heals of, like, every time a frog dies, oh, it died within 10 of both of the Dunian Archons. I guess I get to heal two different things for D3 and kept my, you know, got to remove the little bit of damage that Loki or the Feral had taken up, or I kept my Valkyries around a lot longer because, like, he would kill one, I would tough, and then he would kill something else, and then I would use the Dunian Archons to just heal the one that had toughed back up again, and I was shield guarding stuff all over the place. So, it was a Again, a very kind of unique list that's difficult to attack and pull apart with good positioning. Um, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun, and I definitely kind of want to try that list. It's probably not the final version of it because um, it's like halfway, I think, between the two of where I want it to be and where it was. Um, but definitely very, very fun and very interesting, and it feels good to be playing some shit again. There was also right. like. <laughs> There's also like three different times during the game where I rolled like trip sixes, <laughs> either in in an attack roll or a damage roll from one of the croak raiders Ooh. that like hit something that was oiled. Like most of oh. the time, it was like oh, <laughs> this is the thing that was hilarious is like they were being very effective, but like a lot of times I would I would oil a man of war, I would shoot it, I would do seven points of damage, and then the next damage roll would be like trip sixes. I'm like, well. <laughs> trip sixes but like i only needed to do a point of damage <laughs> yeah yeah but anytime you roll trip sixes it feels good oh yeah. It, yeah 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 other games um that i got in uh, i just want to highlight real quick um is is uh, oz and i attended the flesh and blood road to nationals event so you know flesh and blood is um the new Er, newer, it's not new, but it's a newer uh, card game out of, I think, New Zealand. I mean, and because of COVID, it's, it's basically only like a year and a half old. Like, because right. there was an yeah. entire year where no one was doing anything and it was yeah. available to purchase. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, well we're, we're really enjoying it. And both he and I have found some some heroes that we like to play. And then we've, we've pulled some pretty epic. Um, uh, cards for them and stuff like that. Been but anyway, we were going to go down to Vegas and uh, to participate in the national, the big, the big, big, big event. Yeah. Um, but I had a, a work event that 
wouldn't let me to get out of um, uh, get out of town for the weekend. And so we, um, and luckily though, um, one of the local uh, stores ran um, um, a local Road to Nationals event. So it was still, you know, it's still a Road to Nationals, just not as fancy as being in Vegas. And and so we we went and played in that. And in the main event, uh, Oz got 14th and I got 21st. Um, and so, but in the process, uh, we learned a fair amount of about the game. And then, um, and then we stuck around for some of the side events. And so we did, there was a, um, uh, there was a sealed event and, uh, and I, uh, was doing pretty good and, uh, won my first game. And then, and then the second game, there was a big, um, miscommunication between the other player and me. And, and, and I, and, and the only thing I'm going to say is this, and, and I'm going to move on. Um, card players communicate very differently than miniature players. And I, uh, I'm a miniature yeah. player. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, uh, I ended up losing that game. And then in the, and then the next round, um, I got uh, me and my opponent both got down to one health each, and uh, he was able to win that game. And so, um, but the thing is, is you still got you got the product you pulled. You get, you know, you also get. They also did price support. Um, we went back for the next day for a a booster uh, draft uh, event, which was a lot of fun, and. Um, and I didn't, uh, I went one, one, and one for that one. So, um, and uh, basically we, the, the, my first round opponent was really, really new to the game. And uh, each turn was just kind of struggling to make decisions in a timely fashion. And so we, we ran out of time, um, but which was too bad because I really liked that deck better than the deck that I played the day before. <laughs> and, and I was just like, zoom, zoom, zoom. And I knew exactly what I was doing with that deck. But um, but the cool thing is, is there was, uh, we were waiting in between rounds or in between side events. And, and so the, the organizer came over and was like, Hey, if you want to, if you want to play, um, you know, if you want to do your own like miniature side event, I'll let you do that. And so we, um, so we paid um, an entry fee and it was just Oz and me <laughs> and cause we were waiting for the other event to start. Yeah. And so we played each other in a one game, one round game. And then, and then, and then we got all this price support. Um, and so, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And that was definitely worth the money. And, and the, and the way the Oz and I do, and I beat Oz, which is like unheard of. Ha -ha. And, um, right. And, um, and then when we, and then, but the way he, he and I do packs, we always split the packs um, because we have, uh, because we each have the heroes that we like. And then, and then our agreement is whatever generic you pull, you keep. Yeah. And so, um, and so we got like eight packs for price support for that little event that we yeah. did. I gave him four and I to open and I opened four and I pulled um, the spring tunic, which is like a $150 card. <laughs> and, and it was like it was like a legendary, and I was like, "Oh my!" And so, um, definitely worth the entry fee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 
but also just to be able to just to play and and just get more reps in. I feel way more comfortable with the game now, and um, so I, I really enjoy it. It's super fun. Yeah. So yeah. Um, while you were talking about that, uh, about the difference in communication, uh, I think I figured. I think I may have figured out what it is because I I played I played Magic long before I played. War Machine, okay. uh, and I've also been around Magic players and other TCG players a lot. So I think this is this is kind of my observation of it. In miniatures games, a lot of times, especially in War Machine, and especially what I see from high-level players at tournaments and things like that, is information is frequently stated as a question for confirmation from your opponent of, yes, we both agree that this is the assessment that I found of the information that's here. Yes. And TCG players, a lot of the times the information you give is a declaration of this is what it is. And then you figure out if it's incorrect or not. And, and that is the exact nature of our miscommunication. Yeah. And, and what, what made it worse, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm just going to do it. What made it worse <laughs> was he accused me of saying something that I did not say. Yeah. And and I and he basically put words in my mouth and I was like, "No, I didn't say that." But as I but I'm going through the process, um I'm also doing the assessment of this matters less to me than you. Yep. So yeah. whatever you say, I'll agree to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and and I think I think that also has to do with kind of the nature of the game is because with miniatures very frequent well, I mean with miniatures, everything is laid on on the table. You can easily sit and measure something yeah. to be yeah. precise. With trading card games, there's so much non-known, non-universally known information because you have hidden stuff in your hand yes. and potentially triggers that reveal new information. And so yes. everything needs to be a declaration of intent rather than a a question for confirmation. Right. Yep. It's kind of the way that it yeah. it looks to me. But yeah. small no, that's, aside. That's a, that's a good delineation <laughs> right there. And, um, and as much as I like flesh and blood and card games, that makes me more appreciate more my primary hobby. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of flesh and blood, um, Sundays we do flesh and blood uh, open play. Uh, my roommates have finally not been out at a road to nationals event. Mm. <laughs> so they were actually down at the shop yesterday and uh, it was slow enough that I was able to go and play a couple of games. Uh, my second and third game, actually a flesh and blood ever using the, using the prism deck yeah. um, and trying to get to, to know the flow of the game. Um, the first, the first of the two that we played definitely still felt jarring. I wasn't quite getting the flow of things and the synergies. And I was also, I kept only looking at the pitch value and not the cost of the card. And oh, so I yeah. think a lot of times I had, um, I had some resources floating that I didn't end up using because I would pitch something for three and then play something that was like uh, a two or a three pitch value. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, I wasn't looking at the cost, which was probably only like one or two cost. Um, 
So the second game, I realized that at the end of the first game. And then, so the second game felt a lot smoother and also like getting used to the rhythm of like finding this, the lines in the deck. Um, And right now I'm only playing with the stock blitz deck. Uh, I've swapped in like one or two foil cards that my roommates have given me, but otherwise like all the other cards are still the same. Uh, And I want to play with that till I can figure it out and then decide if I want to do the really control version of prism which is supposed to be very strong and very popular uh or if i want to go a different route with it but i've also was looking at uh their website and looking at some of the other heroes um cassia from crucible yes. looks really interesting yeah uh, and also the new elemental rune blade briar looks uh looks and sounds kind of interesting so i may be looking at those in the future once it's i start player. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well, well uh just so you know prism actually won vegas yesterday yeah i know phil phil plays uh phil plays kano uh in blitz and he talks about how much he's tired of seeing prism everywhere because apparently a lot of people in the portland area play prism <laughs> he's like i'm so tired of seeing prism because prism blocks arcane damage and kano does arcane damage this is dumb <laughs> yeah yep Pri- yeah prism and uh chain and bravo seem to be really popular yep. in the portland area um yeah on the subject of cassia she's on my list of things to make yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the warrior class. Um, yeah. my primary is Dorinthia, but, um, but I, I play a fair amount of Bolton and, and I pulled Cassie. I just haven't, I just haven't made a deck with her yet. Okay. I'll have to pick your brain about that later. Cause yeah, we can dojo together. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. Well, that's, yeah. that's a huge backstock of games. Cause we haven't gotten to talk about games for like about a month or so, but it was awesome. I loved hearing hearing you talk about them so absolutely yeah our main topic for the day um is actually um 3d printing and the use of 3d printing in games and that's sort of a hot topic right now um dan why don't you set the stage for us why don't you kind of give us the the like the thirty thousand foot view uh what's what's kind of happening what's going on in the industry and then and then maybe we can unpack it a little bit and then and then, uh, and as as a team, and then we can you know kind of share our thoughts about it. Sounds good. So yeah, I mean, three D printing obviously has become much more accessible in the last couple of years, right? Um, myself, I'm fairly into it. Um, again, like the Rain and Hell campaign, mini agnostic, printed up my own miniatures, right? Um, but what there's a lot of is, especially when it comes to like the Warhammer world, is people having their own mods, printing stuff up, and not buying the main product, and therefore just running their, their 3D printed versions. And I've seen the files, and they usually kind of get taken down pretty quick, it seems, especially now. But there's a lot of question about, you know, is this, you know, should people allow it? Should they not? Um, obviously, the company's taken their stance on it, and um, they don't appreciate it. We can talk about reasons why, you know, that's understandable. But essentially is, yeah, um, you have the ability to print up miniatures in your house for a lot cheaper than buying models from said game companies, right? Yeah. It's kind of, our, I think, our general general view of the whole subject and topic. So... Yeah, 
really, I guess what we can dive down to is what are our personal thoughts on it? You know, is, is the company being too stringent? Are they fully within, you know, reasonable requests? You know, how do we feel about, you know, at home stuff? Um, <laughs> you know, obviously it can go further to that terrain. You know, I think terrain's a little less of a, uh, yeah. hot topic because, you know, yes, companies print up their own, you know, have terrain that you can purchase. Um, but it's much more of a, of a lax thing, right? You know, your train's almost anything you have. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't see people complaining about, or you don't see companies complaining that, um, people are making like storage containers out of empty shoe boxes rather than buying the plastic kits that they sell or exactly I mean, rolls or, or beer cans very frequently. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's beer your beer can thinker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one, no one really cares about that so much because that's a little bit of a different aspect, but yeah. yeah. Well, I think what's, um, what's fascinating. You're right. Is, is how accessible it is. Um, and what, and as a newer, like just getting into the hobby, like I have a 3d printer. Right. Um, and, but like, will you tell us, you're way more into it than, than, than I am. Right. So like if I were to 3d print something today, um, well, first I'd have to calibrate my printer to make sure it's level and stuff. Um, but, uh, moving on past that, I would have to look for a file and then assume that the file is going to work and print, but yep. like the hobby side, but the 3d printing hobby is so much more than that. People are actually making their own files, aren't they? And oh like, yeah, that's, and that's editing their own files and like yeah. they have they have an idea, they dream it up and they make it on the computer and then they print it, right? And I've done that to a lesser extent. I haven't done like models because I'm not um, I'm not as savvy. I mean, I kind of want to learn. Sadly, um, one more thing on my list is that 3D modeling to actually be able to um, sculpt them and so forth. Yeah. But I've used like programs and I've created um, War Machine widgets and, you know, um, fun emblems or and some basic terrain. And I did something for my um, son's school last year, you know, create little medals and stuff. And so I can create objects with some some ease. And yeah, you go in, you create those files. I've uploaded them to uh, websites for free. Um, yeah. And, you know, people just here, go ahead and download them. I've done stuff non-miniature related right and so that's really cool um but yeah when it and so you do that you could have your file there or you go to the site you, you pay someone for a file you find a file for free however it works you get your file you toss it on as long as your machine's good to go right you fire it up sometimes you get failures um i had i had one i was trying to just print a basic 60 millimeter blank base for the life of me, I can't get it to work right now. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know. But there's some that are pre-supported, so they've already have all the supports there um, that you basically just load and go, right? Um, and then there's some that you have to add supports yourself, and you know that that's a skill on its own. Um, I've come to so, yeah. So let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. So when your your 3D printer is printing. It basically is just adding filament or whatever, layer by layer. Yep. But but sometimes you're making something that's like awkward or it's like leaning or it has this like part that hangs out. You need a support piece there 
as it's printed so that so that it prints normal and then when it's done you can break that support off right exactly um with fdm printers um it's a little bit more different you kind of your orientations may be a little bit different and it's it's layering on usually um some sort of ladder honeycomb or bigger structure to it and when you break those off you usually have to kind of sand it maybe a little bit scrape it off um, with the resin printers they're usually more of like a pole or a line that attaches and then it builds um, and resins are much more fine detail so supports aren't usually needed as much um, mm -hmm. they're not they're not as intrusive and they're easier to pull off because the layers are so so thin that you have maybe a thousand layers compared to your FDM printer, which would maybe have like a hundred, right? Um, actually, probably less than that even. Um, really depends on your settings, but rabbit hole. Um, so yes, either way, you'd have supports and you and you'd break off, and they have their different different aspects to them. Um, I like FDM again for terrain because uh, it's just larger, so you have a bigger build plate. It doesn't, you know, it's less cost. And you can get away with a little rougher looking building, right? Um, yeah. And the resin, like I said, which has really become the last two years just incredibly great of home, is where people are doing their models, or you can print down a Space Marine head, right? Um, you can do that small of a, of a print to change out or arms or et cetera, right? Um, so. I think that's more more of the crux is now that resin printing is is bigger because um, if you did an, uh, you know if you did some models on FDM, sure they look okay, but they don't look nearly as smooth or as nice as you would get as an injection molded plastic or metal. Yeah. So. So let's let's break that down for a second, okay? So I've been in let's use 40k as our example uh, for the first example. I have another example I want to bring up later. Um, 40K uh, tends to be a, a very much, well, I think all Games Workshop games, but, you know, uh, specifically 40K, what we're talking about, tends to be a very hobbyist-centric kind of game. You know, people get really granular and really into it when, you know, they, they build models individually posed and they even name them. <laughs> they give them names and they're, you know, this is so-and-so who was shot in the Battle of Bale. And, but, um, but, like... Um, but there have been third-party companies like one in, one in particular I'm thinking of, uh, Victoria Miniatures, that makes awesome like um, bits that you can substitute out as you know as you build your model and you know and and uh, you know and and things like that. So what three D printing does for the hobbyist is is it says okay. I now, you know, I can buy a base kit if I wanted, for example, mm -hmm. and then instead of buying something from Victoria Miniatures, I can figure out how to print it myself. And now I'm doing that. But it sounds like what's what's happening, what makes this more controversial is people are getting so good at 3D printing that they're actually skipping the whole step of buying the kit and they're just straight up printing models. In fact, just this morning, I'm part of an Eldar Discord server. Just this morning, I saw someone post um, a group of Guardians that they 3D printed straight from base all the way to the tip of their gun. And and like and then once they get paint on it, and let's say they bring that to Runeboard and I'm facing them, right? 
I won't know that that's a 3D printed Eldar Guardian. Yeah. Now, someone who's very familiar with Games Workshop um, products might. And, you know, and he was complaining because the base was slightly larger than the official GW base. So like the scale wasn't exactly right or measurement wasn't exactly right. And so like, if someone were to, let me measure your base, you know, like maybe they would find out, I don't know. So that, I think that's where the controversy comes in because now you have, you know, cause now you have a, a model company that makes rules, makes, mo makes models for their rules, rules for their models, whatever chicken in the egg kind of thing. And they want you to play with their toys using their rules. Yeah. And I think that's where the controversy is. Yeah. And with that example too, like you said, is, you know, people may not notice um, and companies make bits and, you know, privateer press has their, their rules on how much has to be their model, how much can right. be something else. Um, I don't know if games workshop has that or not. Um, you know, in other companies, uh, and with base size, you could adjust the size of the file or maybe, you know, go in and edit and take that base out and put a regular base in. So even then there's ways around that. Right. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know, then, then you don't know. <laughs> right? right. So, and again, the, the way the printing works is you, yeah, especially once there's paint on those resins, you won't know it's printed. You can't, you can't tell by really looking at it the layer lines just really aren't there if it's good. So, yeah. As, as a 3d hobbyist, like, do you see the controversy? Do you appreciate the controversy? Do you think it shouldn't be there? Should be there? What are, what are your thoughts? I have, I have some thoughts, yeah. but what, what, are, what are your thoughts? Sure. I'll be put on the spot first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my general feeling is like, and this is, this kind of comes from, from a few different views. Cause like I said, I've looked and I've found, files for space Marines, especially shoulder pads, um, right? Is like you said, people like to get into it and they have their faction or whatever. So instead of hand painting on or getting decals, you could just straight print your shoulder pauldrons with the emblem of whatever you want on there. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and a lot of people make their own chapters. So they want to um, exactly. make custom pauldrons and instead of sculpting everything out of green stuff, Point. Or putty, putty, or That's making right. a mold that way. Like it's easier to print off yeah. a batch of skull, uh, shoulder pads or something. It's almost like GW is inviting the controversy because they allow you to make, they give you the rules to make your own chapter. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that I think is, especially like you said, since they kind of allow it, fine, right? Shoulder pads, they're shoulder pads, whatever. It's just saving you some time. Um, you know, swapping out heads, probably not a big deal, right? But the problem you get into, like you said, is when someone goes full model, you know, base to tip, right, head, whatever, the entire model's 3D printed and they didn't give a dime to um, the company except for maybe buying a codex or something like that, right? Yeah. That's where um, we... If, if they bought a codex and they didn't find it somewhere. Yeah. That's you true. Know? Um, and so I think that's where you're seeing a lot of your problem. And, and I get that. Like, maybe... Maybe for your home game, if you've got a lot of things, you know, and you don't want to spend the money, I kind of understand for your own own personal home game a little bit, right? Is is you're just going to play with friends. It's just a very side thing. You're not planning on, you know, hitting the game stores or tournaments. You just want to be able to play with your buddies for a little bit, right? I can, I can see the point of why you'd want to do that. Um, like I said, it's crossed my mind. But at the same token... You got to start thinking then, okay, 
I don't buy their models. Um, let's say everyone else starts doing that. Now the company is not making that money. Are they going to be alive for much longer, right? So on the longevity of the game, is it really is it really going to keep there? Um, I guess you could almost ask yourself that though with a secondhand purchase. If you're buying models secondhand from somebody, that doesn't support the company either. <laughs> no, but somebody still bought them at some point. Correct. Exactly. That's that's kind of my point. At some point, those models were from the company. They were sold. You did support in a way, and you're not just grabbing their IP and printing up whatever you feel like, right? Um, so that's kind of, I guess that's my initial stance of like, I I understand why it wouldn't be allowed in tournaments fully, right? Like that is that is on their right. Like if you're if you're going and you're playing an official thing, um, then you know it's the same reason why you wouldn't really be able to use proxies necessarily, right? Because oh, I just I'm just going to proxy in my whole army or a deck of cards or whatever, and just say that's what it is, but you didn't actually get those models. So, um, fully, yeah, yeah. In in essence, I kind of I understand and completely get the point of not allowing those in in tournament play. Um, how far that goes, though, I haven't really looked into like where they draw the line again, like. Privateer Press, the only one I kind of know as the example, is over half the model right has to be theirs. Right? Um, I think right. even I think even that has changed some point. It's like technically half. Um but it more so it needs to be easily recognizable of whatever it is as whatever it is is supposed to be representing. Oh yeah, that that too. There has been some interesting conversions. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I guess I kind of still float back to if you're just if you just want to, you know, play with your buddies in the basement sort of thing and you're in, you know, you don't want to, that's where you get a little bit questionable and that's kind of your own, I guess, thing. And don't, don't resell them. Right. Because that's just kind of not cool. <laughs> yeah. Don't be making them and selling them to people. And especially if they think they're legit. Right. But yeah, that's my initial uh, thought on the subject. <laughs> Um, I see, I f and I feel like my personally, my stance or viewpoint on all of it is kind of from two different points because I've been, been a miniatures player, less so of a hobbyist, uh, for a long time. And I've been doing it long before I worked at a game store. Um, and there's a lot of facets to the complexity of this, of this situation of like, when you're talking about people not buying GW models, it's not always that you're not buying them from GW web store or from a GW store if there's a Warhammer store in your area, but also you're affecting all of the little stores like the one that I work at or the other ones that are the hole in the wall that are ran by people who love games or you know wanted to get into that business. So when you're talking about 3D printing taken away people moving towards 3d printing armies you're not just taken away from gw you're taken away from your local store where you may be going to play games mm -hmm. and if they aren't selling stuff they're not going to be there and then you're not going to have a place to play and like i understand being a person that has worked retail for such a long time like i'm definitely below the poverty line for the money that i make and I understand trying to save some money because miniatures hobbying is extremely expensive. And my first question would be, 
or my first approach to anyone thinking about getting into it is making sure that they understand like this is not a cheap hobby this is not a hobby that you can pop in and out of super easily if you want to actually pursue it like this is expensive this is time consuming minute you know yep there's a lot to it so i get trying to save it um i understand printing certain things like custom things like pauldrons helmets extra weapons things like that because kits that you buy from gw don't always have the number of weapons that you may want for a unit and you don't want to have to go buy another entire box of a 10-man unit so you can get one extra flamethrower because your box only came with one and a unit can run two um i think some of that is just um oversight on their production of miniatures and the changes of rules i would like to see gw or other other companies that are like that start making some of those bits available i think you'd probably see less noise um but like i personally don't have any problem with people 3d printing models using proxies or anything like that um as an employee at the store we generally don't really have any issues with it because we're not running any officially sanctioned events so it's not actually an issue we don't have to follow their rules as long as everyone at the table understands what it is that things are supposed to represent i get people trying to save money trying to do it themselves at the same time like I've seen a regular who was talking about, oh, I have a buddy with a 3D printer, so I'm just going to have him print me off an entire Skaven army because I want to get into 40K because my friends are, but I don't have any money. And like, okay, then maybe you shouldn't get into this hobby. Like, that's the other side of the coin is like, if you don't have the money to get into the hobby, maybe you should find a different hobby. I know that sucks, and that's not something that you want to say to somebody, especially when all of their friends are getting into a game but maybe you have to make a decision of like getting into it more slowly or or not getting into it at all. Yeah, maybe try to bargain hunt a little bit, like you said, that second hand. Yeah, like maybe try and find second hand, maybe borrow models or something like that, you know. Um, the other thing that I, the other interesting piece of data, uh, this happens I think a lot, especially in the age of the internet is, there's a lot of noise from people who are really upset. And I would love to see the data on all of the people that are actually truly, really outrageously upset about especially the hot topic of GW's recent changes and standpoint that they took. How many of those people are people that one, actually play the game on a regular basis, not once a year or once every three years. How many of those people are playing at home how many of those people are going to stores? How many of those people are actually playing in official GW events? And I think if you if you look at the numbers of all of those people in that descending of order, I think the number gets increasingly smaller as you get closer to the number of people that are 3D printing large portions of models for an entire army and then going to a GW store to play. Yeah. I think those specific people are probably very, very small but they are really loud on the internet. And I think there's a lot of over noise. There's a lot of excess noise of people who are outraged because they may decide sometime in the future, they haven't decided yet to go to a GW tournament. And if they can't use their models that they've been printing for however long and putting together, 
that in it doesn't matter if I do it next week or if I do it in three years, if I can't do it at all, I'm outraged and boycott GW. Like I, I feel like those people are really loud and the number of those people is actually really small. And I don't think it's as huge of an issue especially with GW, there are, for for every one of those people, there's probably a hundred more people that will continue to buy GW's IP or other games. There are tons of other people out there that will still just keep buying product. It's the way that they're still in business. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, I, yeah, I want to bring in another example, and you use the word IP, and this is, I think, my segue. Um, I think that there are certain games or certain, yeah, certain things that exist out there where like there's no copyright on Napoleonics, right? Like anybody can make a file of an, of files of Napoleon army. And then like, I recently supported a Kickstarter, right? And, and I got two sides of historical army. I haven't done anything with it yet. So don't ask me about it, but, um, <laughs> but like, um, uh, and but what we're seeing too is um, there's a new, and I can't remember the name of the company now, but um, but you have two options to buy in. They made a game, and to buy into their game, you have two options. You can buy the models directly from them, or they just sell you the file, and you can print it yourself. Yeah, and um, you know you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, it's the company that Will Hungerford. Uh, actually just went to Riven oh. Rivenstone, I think is the name of the game that they're producing. Yeah. I am completely yeah. I'm completely blanking on the on the other Kickstarter that they put out. Um I think oh, a lot of us were actually looking at it. I'm a Patreon of the Broken Anvil miniatures, Bam. There we go. Broken yeah. Anvil. Yeah. yeah. They did they did yeah. a Kickstarter where yeah. you could either back you could either back the stuff and get the models or you could back at a lower one and you could print them yourself. You would so get the SEO. I think that's I think that's pretty forward thinking for them, you know, acknowledging that that people are are going to be into the hobby and they're going to and people are going to want to experience the hobby differently. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think there's a place for there definitely is a place for 3D printing. And um, and I am 100% not opposed to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I also know that like, you know, a lot of creativity goes into making a game and goes into making the factions and the armies and, you know, and then the actual sculpting of them. And and I think and I think that those people, whether they're independent small companies or a large publicly traded company, I, I think they need their due. Um, and so, um, and, and so someone who, who goes into the hobby with ill intent, like this, your example that you gave Chad, I think, I think those people I would counsel to have a different approach, you know, um, and, uh, as, as they come into the hobby and, um, and really see it as, as a space for expressing their creativity. And, and then, and then we, we use things that exist to help us do that. And then sometimes we need to create our own thing to make it happen. And so, um, I don't know. That's sort of like me soapboxing at the moment. But um, I think in general, I would, uh, I think I would have a, I would take an anti all or nothing stance. So like, I'm not in favor of an entirely 3D printed army for an IP that already exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also not in favor of a hundred percent 
just the IP for the army that exists. Like, <laughs> like I don't mind it. Some some weird sculpting or three D some three D printed modifications, and yeah. and I think there needs to be some space to allow for that. So that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that makes what what that makes me. <laughs> well, I think um, I think GW is also um, such a big focus for controversy, also because they have, for a long time, from my understanding, encouraged people to do kit bashing and model and position things the way that you want to. Exactly. It's that they provide. Yeah. Uh, and now what they're doing is they're trying to, they're just trying to protect their branding. Yeah. And I get that from a company that's as big and as well known. It's almost a household name. I mean, it's uh, Warhammer. Well, it, it is Warhammer a household name. Well, it Warhammer is. 40K is to miniatures gaming that Magic the Gathering is to TCGs. It right. is the name in the game. It is the titan in the room. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, when people start crawling up your legs and pulling off parts at your knees, you have to take a stance. And a lot of times, you're going to make a lot of people unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have yeah. to protect your brand. Yeah. Well, let's circle back to the beginning. Um, I'm, I'm excited about our up and coming Rain Hell campaign. And Dan and I, you and I are the same pod. Yep. And so I'm excited to see your 3D printed models, um, to see what you came up with for your warband in person. Um, I did not 3D print anything. I'm actually using some Legion of Everblight models for my for my warband. Um, yeah, there's 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 a space for it. Yeah. There's there's places for it. So. Um, hey. Let's transition a little bit. Let's get to the uh, confession time. What uh, what have you guys been buying lately? <laughs> <laughs> More than I want, not as much as I should. I don't know. Um, so, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> now, um, I've kickstarted a couple small, small things. Like one dude had something for like a dollar sort of thing, you know, so a couple couple smaller things just trying to be a little more conservative on my uh, kickstarting um got some uh you know local joann's had some uh you know hobby paints for sale um at a pretty good cost for a couple ounces so stocked up on like 30 of those paints um for like 20 bucks um so not too bad basically I use them for like terrain, especially, or, you know, some models I've used them on. Um, yeah. I know a couple, we have a good painter in our discord that pretty much exclusively used hobby paints, right? Um, yeah. Like craft brand, two ounce ones. Um, and mainly for the kids to paint away with, right? Cause I don't want them using my miniature paints all the time, right? Um, that gets spendy. And then uh, uh, I've started picking up some flesh and blood. So, uh, <laughs> It has been that radical. So that's been me. Nice. Nice. You know, I want to, um, I, I need to give a preface, um, a caveat to everyone who's listening because we actually haven't, um, uh, recorded it in a while. And so <laughs> we haven't had this segment. And so what I'm about ready to say is going to feel like a lot. Sound really bad. It's going to sound really, <laughs> really bad. Um, 
So I uh, I bought quite a few things recently. Um, I picked up uh, some reflex servitors for my Convergence army. I bought some battlefoam trays for some colossals that I've got, and um, and I'm pretty excited about my storage solution for War Machine. I think I'm I think everything has a place now. Um, well, once those two trays arrive, everything will have a place, um, and that just that just feels good. Rather than have, I mean, well, actually, scratch that. The archons don't have a home yet. Um, we'll figure. Well, out. they are the most awkward yeah. models ever. Yeah, they are the most awkward. Um, once I figure out what to do with the archons, then everything will have a, a home. That's next. Um, I picked up some secondhand cricks for the strange bedfellows theme. So um, um, I'm going to have uh, a lot of variety for list building for that theme um, pretty soon. Um, once I build them and paint them and stuff. Um, I also picked some, picked up some secondhand blood angels that, that happened and then picked up some secondhand Eldar, uh, that happened as well. Don't judge me. Um, uh, Only silently. <laughs> oh my goodness. You don't understand. <laughs> it's bad. Uh, okay. Um, uh, but one of the things I'm really excited about actually is, uh, is doing a little research. I've got, you know, I've got that um, that sort of fey elven wood army that I uh, started building up last year for the Ninth Age, which I've never played um, yeah. because my my the player I'm going to play with Carl is has ADD just like I do, and so as soon as I got ready to play, he went on to another game. Yeah. Um, but I kept the kept the army. And I know he'll circle back. Um, but anyway, I was discovering that I can use that army in other games, um, specifically Oathmark, which, uh, written by Joseph McCullough, same author as uh, you know Frostgrave and Stargrave. And the only difference with Oathmark is uh, my small units um, need to be, uh, his base size is 25 by 25. And for T9A, um, uh, they were on 20 by 20. And so what I can do with Oathmark is rather than rebase them or even or even play with magnets, um, there's a company that makes uh, movement trays that have spacers in between. And so I could put my 20 by 20 models in those bases. And so the frontage of the movement tray is exactly the right size for Oathmark. And I don't have to worry about the base size of the model. Um, and so now I can use them, I can use that army and there's another game too that I have on my shelf that that's minis agnostic. I can use that army for three different games. Um, so, oh, saga age of magic. And so I'm so excited about that. And, and, and I found a, a, a storage solution for that army. It literally takes up zero space on my, or like one single spot on my shelf. It's like the most efficient hobby thing I, I have in my life right now, and it feels really good. Of course, I'm not playing it, but I have it. Um, <laughs> I also uh, I also purchased Gamma Rules by Ash Barker. I kind of was looking at Battle Tech, and um, and then Gamma Rules is like a easier knockoff of it, sort of. And um, and I just like and I just like reading rules sets and so i found it for on sale and i was like all right i have a i, I have a book budget 
it's sort of related to what I do for work and, and, and hobby. And so, um, so buying a book isn't a big deal for me. Um, but then uh, my most recent purchase was I bought some uh, Leopard 1 tanks um, for my NATO force that I'm working on for Team Yankee. And, um, and, and I was talking to Adam, who's the owner of Geeks and Games out in Oregon City. And, and we were talking about um, military painting, and which is a little bit different than 40K painting and fantasy painting, right? And so, um, and so he he pointed me to uh, Vallejo has a canned primer series, and he talked about what that does for military painting in terms of um, just kind of shortcutting your work for you. And so, um, so I bought a can of that, and I'm going to try to paint the leopard tanks um, uh, with that, and see see how it goes, see how it go. So. Uh, Okay, there's my list, and I'm embarrassed. Please don't go. That's a pain. You should get some stencils or something if you want to do like stripes or camouflage or any of that. Yeah, well, well, with the leopard ones, they actually don't have um, uh, a camo. They have a specific kind of drab olive green brown right. color, and um, and so I want to do those first before I do. I um, I have a unit of uh, uh of uh, bad, uh, bad, bad Italian support pieces, uh, like uh, support vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, those ones are explicitly camo for the army. And so I'm going to paint those after I do the, the leopards. Gotcha. So. Well, my, my list is really short uh, <laughs> <laughs> by comparison. Um, I recently got uh, another unit of witch elves, which I'm turning into witch elves. Uh, I'm going to do the daggers and buckler um build for them i already have a unit that has two daggers and then i've got a unit of sisters of slaughter uh and then i'm gonna kind of decide where i'm going with those uh yeah. i have a start collecting for daughters of cain that's on its way and then i also have a uh narrative journal uh for age of sigmar that's supposed to be coming it was supposed to be here by now but it's not here yet um as long as, as well as i think the pitched battle profile book as well is on the way um i think that's it for my purchases uh bought some magic cards but that's about it um bought a little bit of pokemon but Uh uh-oh i had already had pokemon stuff before but uh i'm a really big fan of the evolutions and the most recent set evolving skies that's like the big um the big theme for the set. And so I bought one of the elite trainer boxes uh, that comes with like eight booster packs, some sleeves and some other stuff that are all evolution themed. Um, But that was it. Uh, Yeah. We just learned a Chad fact. (laughs) Well, awesome. Well, what, what do you guys, so now we bought all those things. Are you working on any of them? What's on your hobby desk? (laughs) So I finished up most of my uh, Rain and Hell models to the point of highlighting. This is always kind of the point I, I stop at a little bit because I'm like, eh, it's good enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I've started, I want to get some of the scattered terrain hopefully done before we get some of our games in. It's a little thematic to the whole Hell ha- um, landscape, so nice. should help it look a little nice. Nice. 
this is going to sound like a ton of painting, um, <laughs> only because it's been like about a month or so, but um, I got some War Machine models finished. I got Hot Chuck, Throg, um, Des 2, Des and Govan. Uh, I got my Dunian Archons and my Primal Archon painted uh, mm -hmm. for that Tanith list. So now that list is almost done, except for, I think, Samurai Advocate, my Valkyries, and then basing the models. Um, I got um, a ch what feels like a bunch of my daughter's stuff finished. I got my Unit of Witch Elves with Daggers painted. I got my 10 um, Bloodstalkers painted. I got uh, one of the Endless Spells finished, and I'm working on the other two. I was working on those last night. Uh, I got Morgraith and the Coven done, which is actually a warband for Dire Chasm. So that's painted. Uh, and then I also got one of the other HQs, uh, the Iron Scale Molossi for Daughters uh, painted. So right now I finished priming the rest of the stuff that I had, which is a unit of Sisters of Slaughter. The rest of the Canite Shadow Stalkers for Warcry, I painted the leader. Uh, to test the scheme. So I've got the rest of that unit to do. And then I've got the five-man unit of Harpies um, that I need to paint. They're primed and sitting at my desk right now. And I have one box of Witch Elves to assemble currently. So that's what's on my hobby desk right now. Nice. <laughs> Just a few. Nice. That's only 10, 5, 8, plus two more. It's only 25 models. <laughs> Sorry, I've got like 40 models on a shelf above my hobby desk. So hot. Yeah. Hobby desk. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, um, I, also, I also bought a unit of uh, Ranger Infiltrators for Warcaster. I forgot. I pre-ordered those a while ago, and they came in. So nice. I have nice. more stuff for Warcaster now. Nice. I uh, finished some touch-ups on a storm wall that I had rescued. Um, uh, I got a second one that came in six different pieces and fixed that up. Repaired some broken uh, Blood Angel models, and then I went through and magnetized like all of my Blood Angels uh, to use my magnet rack for them. Uh, so, a uh, little less painting, more magnetizing and bit and re repairs the last couple of weeks. But hey, good conversation. I want to thank everyone for joining us and for being a part of this conversation. Uh, we have the weekly paint party that takes place on Thursdays. We have the monthly book club. Uh, we alternate between a fiction book and a rule set. This month is the rule set. We're reading the Mars Colony RPG. And we're going to be talking about that. And then, of course, we have the ongoing Rain and Hell campaign. And so we have two different pods that are going on. And we're looking forward to hearing about their experience. And we're looking forward to seeing pictures and battle reports. Uh, thanks for listening to our show. Uh, feel free to message us on Discord, on Facebook. Uh, you can email us at spellstoreminiatures at gmail.com. Find us at spellstoreminiatures.com. And if you'd like to support us, uh, tell your friends. And also, we have several um, affiliate links that you can shop online with uh, to support us. But thanks for being a part of our community. Thank you.
Boom, 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 boom,